Hello, and welcome to Modus Scotus, the podcast where two law students try to figure out what's going on at the Supreme Court. My name is Venetia Hardabies. And I'm Bill Kehoe. And today we have a couple of news topics, mostly just because I wanted to know if you knew that Taylor Swift re-released her second album. I heard something about that. Yeah. Do you know why? I don't know why. So she does not have the rights to six of her albums, six of her original albums from when she was young. Right. Young little Taylor Swift. Um, They were sold off to Scooter Braun, who's a big time music manager. Yep. Okay. And she doesn't like him very much. Apparently he's bullied her in the past. Wasn't there some sort of sexual harassment, something going on with her? I don't know if it was with him. There was somebody involved. I, I should, I don't know anything about it. Right. But, but either way, not, so not good. He doesn't even own it anymore. He sold it for a bunch of money, but he still has some royalties or something. There's some connection that he still makes money off of her music mm-hmm. in the leasing. So she doesn't make any money off of the leasing, essentially. Well, whatever. She doesn't get the leasing rights. So, and she can't buy it because it was never offered for her to buy it. And then even if she did buy it now, he would still have a portion of it through whatever arrangement he has going on. So she just is re-recording and re-releasing all six of those albums is the plan. She just did one of them. It came out on Friday. And it is like spot on exactly her second album. It's crazy. So that people will listen to that. To the re-release. That's the idea. Yeah. So it's a lot of she needs to promote to her fans to listen to that one. So it specifically says on each song in, in the album, in parentheses, it says Taylor's version. So whenever you see the songs now, it'll be like the original Fearless, and then it'll be Fearless, parentheses, Taylor's version. Hey, power to her. That's just wild. That's so much work. It's a and lot she of work. Put out two albums last year. This is a good big year for her. She's putting in a lot of work. Yeah. She's impressive. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. But uh, I thought that was really that is, weird. That's cutthroat. I don't know anything about the music industry and how those things work, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't know much either. I took music law, but I don't know what I'm doing. So that sounds about right. I mean, um, I have lots of questions, but. But you have a news item as well. I do have a news item. Okay, what's yours? My news item, what do you know about vaccine passports? Uh, nothing yet. What should I know about vaccine passports? They're likely constitutional. They are likely constitutional. Yes. So okay. there, there's, by a number of people, the idea of vaccine passports. Was, the idea was floated... Where you, if you're going to fly anywhere, you're going to go anywhere, you're going to go into... Big concert venues. Big concert venues. Yeah. you got to show, hey, look, you know, then there are a couple of digital apps uh, available. You could show your COVID, you know, vaccine card thing. Mm-hmm. Could, but that you know, requires you taking it everywhere, all that stuff. Just to say, yep, verified, I'm vaccinated. I should be allowed to be in here without a mask, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Several states, Florida most notably have said, yeah, we're going to ban those. Mm-hmm. And they, they ban those by saying you're not going to get federal funds or not federal funds. Excuse me. You're not going to get state funds from us yep. if you do that. Right. So a lot of people are kind of backing off of that. Mm-hmm. Biden said he's, his administration is not going to support that. But I read a good article in the New York times <clears throat> outlining that it is likely constitutional. 
it's again your right to associate right there's a general um you know the whole rule no shoes no shirt no service yep same thing you businesses have the right to exclude people based on a lot of things not everything mm -hmm. there are specific statutes that say and there's executive orders now that say you can't exclude anybody from your business based on COVID 19 mm -hmm. right but outside of any of those state laws there's nothing saying that a business can't exclude you because of um a bunch of stuff so uh it's likely totally fine interesting yeah i'd like to see more when it starts happening i heard heard about it for the uk um prime minister Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, yes. Yes, he was talking about that and specifically for their big football tournament, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, the people who are going to be allowed in the stadium are only allowed in if they have their vaccine. But he doesn't like using the word passport, so it would be certificate or something like that. Yeah, and, and uh, the passport thing is, like, oh, domestic passport. That's kind of curtailing interstate, interest, uh, interstate travel. Mm -hmm. And that's not so great. And um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm, eh, I, I know, every, I understand everybody like wants to stay safe mm -hmm. and they want to keep these sporting events going, mm -hmm. but, uh, some sort of identifying mark just uh, like that seems a little anti-American, un-American. Well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, yes, we shall. But. Fun note. What's the fun note? Bill and I both got our first vaccine this week. That's true. Which one did you get? Pfizer. I got Moderna. Hmm, how's your arm, Bill? It's almost better. <laughs> mm. Mine's fine. It doesn't hurt anymore. I'm so happy. Anyway, <laughs> we have actual cases to talk about today. Yes, we do. Uh, sort of. We're going to do a little bit of a special episode today because oh. there were no oral arguments this past week. Uh, that we're going to be starting up again next week, if I'm not wrong. So we're going to be talking about a opinion that came out of the court on April 1st. And then we're going to be talking a little bit more generally about some ongoing discussions regarding the First Amendment, social media, and some magical thing called Section 230 that Bill is an expert on. Working expert. <laughs> Working to be an expert. But what's so the case is Facebook versus Do Good. Do Good, yep. Do Good. We had to actually look up how to pronounce, pronounce that. It. Yeah. So do you want to talk about what happens in the case? Sure. So Noah Duguid, uh, he was receiving text messages from an automated service through Facebook. And Facebook has a service where if someone logs into a Facebook account from an unknown um, computer or a new computer that wasn't originally associated with the user profile, it can send out a text message to the phone number. Yeah, it's one of those safety features. Right, that's on file. Uh, you can choose that as a security option when you sign up for your Facebook or, you know, as you maintain your Facebook. And so he was receiving these text messages. But Noah has never had a Facebook, nor did he recently set up a Facebook, and he didn't have an account that was associated with his phone number. So it was texting him, but not for the correct reason. Yeah, he's basically like, Facebook, stop this. Right. Um, so he didn't like that, and he brought a suit under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act of 1991, the TCPA. And so the TCPA says that certain types of communications can be restricted, specifically ones that are made with automatic telephone dialing systems. And it uh, defines auto dialers as equipment with the capacity to store or produce telephone numbers to be called 
using a random or sequential number generator and to dial those numbers. And this is in 47 U.S. Code Section 227A1. Yeah. So this is a statutory interpretation case. Yes. And I know Venetia just read you the statute, but we're going to be talking about the order of the words, the order of the verbs, where the commas are placed. This is going to get into a deep... This is, well, this is what the court had to do, right? Yeah. There's a deep dive into where each word is placed and therefore what does that insinuate as to Congress's intent. Yeah, so when you but, see the name of this case, originally mm -hmm. everyone probably thought, ooh, Facebook versus someone. It's got to be a First Amendment issue because a lot of the media has been, um, or even the legal scholars have been discussing social media and First Amendment rights and who can say things, who can get shut down for saying things. This is not that at all. No. Don't, don't get... Um, this is literally Facebook stop texting me. Right. And I but think the, you... the opinion is just English grammar lesson 102, like really actually intense. I don't this even is, remember This most is beyond these... college level English. Yeah, I don't even remember yeah. most of these words. <laughs> yeah, no. No, this is, this is, yeah. This is fun for me and fun for you probably, but not fun for everybody who's, you know. Yeah, I like statutory interpretation and understanding and reviewing the canons of structure for statutes and stuff like that. But this was just really a grammar lesson to high, high level that I've probably never even had before. <laughs> yeah. And it's really cool because um, so the people who are arguing in this case, the, the attorneys, mm -hmm. there's Paul uh, Paul Clement, uh, Clement uh, for the Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he's... He's actually one of the most seasoned oral arguers that's ever, ever that ever goes before the court. Yeah, I always see his name. He's, he's yeah, he was the solicitor general. He very, he was, I think he was on a short list for for SCOTUS nominations. He's conservative, mm -hmm. but in this case, he's working you know with Facebook because it, it's a, it's just just a very he's very experienced at this. Mm -hmm. And um, overall, I thought his oral argument was really really good, except for that one time where he completely ignored that the chief justice was telling him to stop talking. <gasps> yeah, that was bad. That was bad. But other than that, he gave a very concise, well-reasoned oral argument. Yep. And then there was Ellis, Mr. Ellis, mm -hmm. from the Solicitor General's office, who was, you know, basically echoed a, a lot of the same things yeah. that uh, Clement had said. And then there was Brian Gardner. Mm -hmm. Gardner? Garner. 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 I should know this better. Yep. It's G Brian Garner, and he is like a linguist, gr uh, grammarian lawyer a lexicon something uh, like that yeah he's he's an expert in linguistics linguistics within the study of the law and he, he wrote a book with justice antonin scalia mm -hmm. and about textualism and how to interpret statutes yes yes so it was really cool that um the petitioners facebook mm -hmm. were citing this book Mm -hmm. as evidence or as not as evidence but as an argument to uh to for their side or as the guy who wrote the book is arguing for the other side yeah that's weird yeah but let's let's go over what the issue is right well we'll start with the this case was brought um to the u.s district court of northern the Northern District of California, they dismissed uh, Mr. Duguid's claims. The Ninth Circuit agreed and affirmed, and then he was granted cert to the U.S. Supreme Court, and that's where it was now until it was recently decided. Um, but the 
issue, the question before the court is just whether or not the definition of an auto dialer encompasses equipment that can store and dial telephone numbers even if the device does not use a random or sequential number generator. Mm -hmm. So that's the issue here is that Facebook, uh, they have a system that can store numbers, obviously, because it stores your telephone number, and then it auto sends you text messages, which the court kind of says is similar to auto dialing. But the question is, because the statute specifically states use of a random or sequential number generator, does that does that little phrase apply to the storage and production of telephone numbers to be called or does it only apply to the production and not the storage yeah and so, it's so there's two verbs right, right. um store and, and yeah so this this first part of the statute is we're defining an atds an automatic telephone dialing system mm-hmm. equipment which has the capacity to store or produce Two verbs, yeah. store or produce telephone numbers, mm-hmm. comma, using a random or sequential number generator. Mm-hmm. Now, there you would think, there are a lot of people probably think, oh, store and produce using a number, uh, random number generator, that seems like it applies to both store and produce, mm-hmm. which is what Facebook's argument is. Right. Um, because it has, it, it the using the random number generator applies to both the storage and the production of telephone numbers and Facebook's system doesn't uh, use a random number generator nope. at all. It just stores so it's either numbers. S- store with a random number generator or produce with a random number generator mm-hmm. is the way Facebook reads the statute. Right. Mr. Do Good reads it store or produce using a random s- sequential number generator. Yes. So that's the big issue there. Yeah. And there there's a lot of different there's what's the what's the canon of statutory interpretation that Facebook uses in this case? It's the um series uh, qualifier canon, right? Right. So the fact that they're in series with one another, it should apply to all of the things in yes. the list that are in series. Yes. Yeah. And it, that's especially because there's a comma after uh, telephone numbers to be called, which is after store or produce, and before using a random or sequential number generator. So the idea behind the the series um, canon is that that segment that's comma and separated off yeah. would apply to everything in the series before it. Um, but do good is using the last antecedent. Yeah, and typically we don't see a comma there. Right. Yeah. So like apples, oranges, pears, and arugula that is less no less than two days old. Yes. So like, and then obviously, and there's no comma on my qualifier on arugula mm-hmm. in this case. And I don't, I love arugula, everybody. Yes, you do. It's weird. But that that's my point, right? Yes. So it would only, so in it's your instance. It's not apples and apples that are no less than two days old. It's oranges, It's apples, oranges, pears, and arugula that is no less than two days old. Right. Whereas you could throw a comma after arugula. Mm-hmm. Apples, oranges, pears, arugula. Mm-hmm. And it makes more sense grammatically, uh, uh, linguistically this way, comma, none of which that are less than two days old. Right. And then you would assume it applies and to all. And it applies to everything. In the right. List. And so this isn't super clear in the statute. Right. So the, the presence of the comma leads us to think that it's series qualifier. Mm-hmm. However, there's nothing, there's no language in there that says both of which being having been created by a random 
number generator, right. which will clear it right or up. Either for having either having, having yeah, exactly. There's no clarifying language there, so it's that's that's the, that's the fight in court. That's the ambiguity, ambiguity. Nice job. <laughs> so, um, I think. Um, what did you think of the oral argument? Because we because I we typically don't when we just read the opinions. Yeah. We don't. Um, we don't. Go listen, back we don't go back and listen to the oral argument, but what did you, you think of the oral argument? I didn't find anything that stood out much from it because it essentially, in my mind, echoed the uh, opinion, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, and then I, as much as I appreciate Garner and his work that he's done with Scalia, I didn't think he did a great job. He didn't. He kind of avoided questions a bit, and it just didn't come off very strong. And it you wasn't. could tell that Mr. Clement is very, very um, experienced at the Supreme Court. He just yes. came off like he knows this place. It's his second home. Yes. M Mr. Gardner did not come off that way. Yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, Clement's argument was very, very strong. Mm -hmm. um, they, made the, they made the pitch. They made the pitch that if we read it, like an automatic device is one that stores mm -hmm. or produces numbers through a random number generator mm -hmm. for automatic dialing, then wouldn't this include everybody's cell phone? Right, because your cell phone stores numbers and it can auto-dial people at your request. You can set up like, oh, text everyone in my family when I go to bed, stuff like that. Right, I'm going to throw up a do not disturb. Right. And I'm going to say, hey, if anybody from this group texts me, yep. auto-respond auto, auto to it, right? And that's a stored number, mm -hmm. an automatic response. Mm -hmm. Doesn't and the way Garner wants you to read the statute is, you don't need an, a, a random number generator to generate that number. Right. And now all of a sudden, that's some sort of violation of the uh, TCPA. Right. And that's you know, that seems strange. And was it? I don't remember if it was Kagan or Sotomayor that was really pushing him on that point specifically because one of his arguments against that was there's some kind of human intervention uh, in auto dialing so it would not have this issue with cell phones because there's human intervention at some point you you pushed a button but when he was asked about the do not disturb that was barrett oh was it barrett yeah. um oh my goodness i confuse all the women how terrible uh yeah, when yeah. <laughs> when he was asked about that he had to concede that's that's not really a lot of human intervention because that's just setting up a do not disturb. That's not, you know, clicking redial. Yeah. It's not setting up an automatic message to go specifically to this person. It's anyone who... Yeah. What, right. about, what about your out-of-office notification on Outlook? Yeah. For those of us who work in the corporate America. And there's no human intervention determining who necessarily it's going to. It's kind of anyone who emails you gets that notification. Mm -hmm. So he had to concede that that wouldn't be enough to be human intervention and therefore, yeah, might come under scrutiny for this, you know, this regulation. Yeah, and he's just, oh yeah, Article Three judges will dismiss those claims right. as and, frivolous. I'm and like, oh, people, will they though? People won't do that, whatever that means. Like people yeah, America's just... a very litigious, I think uh, Garner has this beautiful view of what the law is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't, and... I'm talking about out of my butt. I don't know a whole lot about him other than like some of this. I've read some of the stuff that he and Scalia has done. Yeah, I've done. I think he has this beautiful idea of what the law is. Mm -hmm. And then there's America, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily textbook. Right. And America is very litigious. Yes. And you let's say, you, you know, 
I think we were going over this hypothetical earlier. There's the situation where you s somehow get into one of these automatic text message responses with, let's say, um, a couple that, or that, that has recently broken up and they don't want to be talking anymore. But now you have an unconsented message that was automatically sent to one party that didn't want to be contacted by that party. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden that's a violation of the TCPA. Right. And they can bring a suit if they're mad enough. Right. Yeah. Right. So I wouldn't put that above lots of people. Right. So it's a real issue. Mm -hmm. No, it makes sense. Um, it was pretty interesting, though. Like you said, he's the guy who is the linguistic professional expert. Um, but his argument was more based on, look, this is just not how a normal common reader of English would interpret it, you know? So we shouldn't be going down this path of crazy linguistic obstacles and canons. We should just focus more on how someone would read it and it would make sense. So I think that's a good way to segue into what the opinion said. Mm -hmm. So Sotomayor wrote the uh, the majority. Yes, and uh, it was unanimous. It was unanimous. Concurrence. Yeah, so, yeah, so eight justices signed on with Sotomayor. Mm -hmm. uh, Alito wrote separately to kind of note a point. And yep. uh, Sotomayor basically said everything that we were kind of saying when we were supporting uh, Clement's argument. Yes. Is this is, um, we think that the qualifier of the random number generator applies to both the production and the storage. Mm -hmm. That's the most natural reading. And we're using the series qualifier canon as a tool mm -hmm. that says, yeah, that it makes more sense because of that comma. This is the most natural reading of that statue. Alito writes separately to basically say, hey, guys, Garner has a point. Mm -hmm. These are some people call them rules of statutory interpretation. Right. They're not rules. They're not official. Rules. They're, they're not codified. They're not. They're not. Yeah. They're canons, mm -hmm. which means they're tools in a toolbox. And, and this is a good way to attack these types of problems. Mm -hmm. he, there's going to be certain circumstances, and I think Kagan was good at um, coming up with some examples where it would very clearly um, two two verbs mm -hmm. and a qualifier at the end in the same setup that we have in the statute, but very clearly the qualifier only applies to one. Right. Verb. And Alito did a lot of that in his concurrence as well. He listed a yeah. whole bunch of sentences. Yeah, that... there's so so uh one example is that I think is the best example in the most simple way. Mm -hmm. Um on Saturday, he relaxes and exercises vigorously. Mm -hmm. Clearly vigorously does not apply to relaxes. Mm -hmm. Vigorously applies to exercises. And we know that just because we're common speakers of this language. Though who the heck calls a relaxing Saturday one in which they exercise vigorously. I I, I understand that. Yeah, but, yeah. but hearing that sentence, you're yeah, not you, you, you immediately know that vigorously applies to exercises, does not apply to, to relaxes. Right. Or um um when a, when his owner comes home, the dog wags his tail and barks loudly. Mm -hmm. Wags his tail and barks loudly. He's not wagging his tail loudly. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's these all it's all these context clues within the sentence itself that tells us okay yes that qualifier at the end that adverb mm -hmm. applies to only one of the verbs based on context and Alito's basically saying in I would say in Alito's guessing that in the majority of cases it's easy to tell mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be super beholden to the series qualifier canon to the last antecedent canon we should use them 
but don't be so don't be so beholden to them and he didn't like the feel of Sotomayor's opinion that it felt beholden to the series qualifier canon which I didn't understand because she uses multiple different types of canons mm -hmm. she does reference back to the legislative history and the purpose of the act itself which was to you know regulate robocallers from interfering with emergency lines by auto dialing you know and accidentally stumbling upon 911 and blocking up the line she goes through all of all of that as well it just seemed like he wanted to write something and yeah, kind of complain. He, he wanted to. I I I'm fine with what he wrote. Yeah. He he wanted to really highlight something. Um, I think Sotomayor addresses this in her footnotes. She did she put in a little um foot yeah a little footnote where she calls out specifically Justice Alito, which I thought oh that's interesting. I didn't see. I, I, it wasn't very feisty. It was a little bit feisty. But for all right, on the spectrum of Sonia Sotomayor, that was a two. I guess. You know what I mean? The I think she's like you know hey. Alito and I agree that these are tools. But he still felt the need to write this concurrence. Yeah, and, and she's how... basically like, we don't we don't agree on the the court's opinion and how, uh, what was it? It was that the court, he felt the court's opinion relied on it as a rule. Mm. And that's not what it did. Right, which just seemed like he just wanted to write. A, I, which I is know. fine. This is actually one of his better opinions I that I've read. Um, and it's not even, you know, it's not even... Uh, it's a not, dissent. It's not even a dissent. But no. it, I, I like this. His writing is like, yeah, I totally agree. And in this case, you're absolutely right. All of these things do apply. But I just want to, I just want to say, for the record, you know, English. It's, it's not everything. Let's not, let's not just get held down on. He's all just these highlighting verbs. a separate, Yeah, I thought this, his, this right, his writing in this was, was decent. So I thought it was good. Um, well, I also, you know. The Garner was giving a lot of examples similar to what Alito put into his concurrence as well. But one thing that stood out to me is they're not the same. So when you talk about, you know, when I come home, the dog wags his tail and barks loudly. Yes. Those two things are like right next to each other. The way that this is written is equipment which has the capacity to store or produce telephone numbers to be called, comma, using a random or sequential number generator. Yes. So it's like you're essentially blocking out telephone numbers to be called and that comma, and then just moving on to the qualifier. I, I agree. I hundred, and that's why I agree with you. Right. Like, like you and I are on the exact same page about how this statute should be interpreted. But him throwing in all those sentences that aren't even well, on he's, point. He, they're not on point, but... He's basically saying, hey, there are plenty of other cases where you're going to have... He's trying to he's trying to be instructive to lower courts. And he's like, you're going to have cases where you're going to have two verbs mm -hmm. and a qualifier at the end. And don't use this case as a whole... As a... As a, as a well, again, it's not bright a line rule. holding. Like, they're never... None of them are rules, so... And that's what he's concerned about. I know. I just... He's concerned He's concerned that lower courts are going to take this... Oh, this is a rule they held in Facebook v. Do Good that... You know, Every two, time there's the two, two verbs, two verbs and a and an adverb at the end, and the adverb only works on the last one. Ha ha ha! Like he's no he's he's worried no about that absolutely he's worried sense. about that. Absolutely he's worried about that, and I think that's valid. No, because they're just canons of construction. I I'm agree sure with used... you. I agree with you, but I guarantee you that there's maybe one court in the in the whole U.S. where there's a law clerk that's so overburdened, and they're like, "Find me, find me a case on this," and then like she quickly, or you know, he or she look quickly looks at the. Uh, opinion and it's like oh two verbs and adverb oh, yeah, yeah here you go here's a, here's the opinion on the point 
I look. Mm-hmm. I'm defending him. Yes. And only because he has your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the only reason why. I don't usually defend Alito, but I'm saying I I wouldn't have wrote, I wouldn't have written separately. Mm-hmm. But I understand his point. Right. Well, either way, the ultimate outcome is yes, the court finds in favor of Facebook and says this is not an auto dialer per the TCPA because it's not using a random number generator. Um, but in the news, I felt that it was covered pretty well because, uh, again, I was a little bit concerned about the whole idea that it's Facebook versus someone, uh, First Amendment, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's going to be up in arms about that. Mm-hmm. But it really wasn't. A lot of the headlines seem to imply they're going to go down a rabbit hole, but then they don't. So, like, headlines would say, SCOTUS sides with Facebook. But then if you actually read the article, they're usually pretty... Well, it's clickbait titling. Right. I mean, you got to do that because you want to get attention um well but they they do a pretty good job of describing the fact that the entire thing was a grammar dispute mm-hmm. um i did find one good article by cnbc where it was just bullet points really <laughs> but they do note that the opinion and a concurrence authored by justice samuel alito featured a spirited debate over the merits of relying on language textbooks to discern the meaning of legal texts which i thought was entertaining that they called out the spirited debate but also the fact that they say relying on language textbooks that's that's not what it was that's not what it was it was it was a legal treatise well i thought it was funny and then i found another one on ap news which i am not associated press that one very good um and it had a couple of quotes from a senator and a representative federal um, Senator Edward Markey of Mass. Yeah, Ed Markey. And Representative Anna Eshoo. And apparently um, they told the Associated Press that um, their concerns were that companies will now have the ability to assault the public with nonstop waves of unwanted calls and texts around the clock. And that if the justices find their private mobile phones ringing nonstop from now until the legislation becomes law, they'll only have themselves to blame. I wish our elected representatives could read. Well, maybe they should become linguists. Maybe they should just learn English. And well, that's what half of the debate was about. I, I'm on the record right now. Both of those individuals should learn to read. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Um... Or get, or get briefed better on an issue before you talk about something you don't know anything about. True. Yeah, it could just be an intern didn't explain it very well. Yeah. Um, they sided with Facebook. Yeah. But Bad. The, the idea is that the the TCPA is going to continue doing exactly what it was meant to do, which is yeah. stopping robocalls. Whether or not it needs to be updated, yeah, probably. Cause, it does, because I get robocalls all the time. Oh, so my it's God. Clear. I get robo-text message all the time, too. Yeah, so clearly it's not effective. Right. And even in the... And but it does a good job, but it, it could, you know, there are some right. that slip this, through the this, One, this opinion is not changing the way that the TCPA has doesn't been operating. Doesn't change it at all. Doesn't no. change it at all. Um, so that's number one, mm-hmm. Senator Markey. Number two, the... They mention mm-hmm. in oral argument, in the opinion, that, yeah, this was written in 1991 when there were, like, not that, there were not that many cell phones. Those cell phones were the size of a, bread of bread, uh, a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. And, th- and there were car phones. There were car phones. <laughs> and most, most of the phones that the TCPA was protecting were cell phones that had very, very high charges by the minute. Yeah. Or, like, the home phones were so you don't like, get calls like crazy at, the home, at your home phone. Right. So... 
times have changed mm -hmm. and that's fine so it's this piece of legislation is ripe for a rewrite yeah, yeah. But that's on. The, that's on. And that's what the Supreme Court decided was not to expand it in this case. Yeah, they're, they're like, just... we're not going to be lawmakers. Right. That's not our job. Yeah. Senator Markey, you go fix it. <laughs> yes. Which hopefully they do because I hate robocalls. Me too. Ugh. All right. So, well, with that, we will take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about our second topic. Sounds good. Okay. All right, trivia time. You should know this one. You definitely know this one, but I'm gonna ask it anyway because the audience doesn't know this one, I'm assuming, most of the audience maybe. Who is attributed with creating the phrase, the marketplace of ideas, in reference to freedom of speech? I should know this one. You do it was it, it was one. it was Holmes. It was Holmes. Yeah. Yes. yes. I I almost tripped you up. You thought you didn't know. I thought well, I thought it, it was Holmes tricky. and then I was like, "Oh, it could be another one, but yeah, no. I yeah, yeah, Holmes. Of course it's Holmes. So, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. wrote in his dissent in Abrams versus United States in 1919, Persecution for the expression of opinions seems to me perfectly logical. If you have no doubt in your premises or your power and want a certain result with all your heart you naturally express your wishes in law and sweep away all opposition dot 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 but when men have realized that time has upset many fighting faiths they may come to believe even more than they believe the very foundations of their own conduct that the ultimate good desired is better reached by free trade in ideas that the best test of truth is the power of the thought to get itself accepted in the competition of the market. Da, 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 da. And that's where the marketplace of ideas stems from is that he was discussing the free trade of ideas and its ability to become a widespread idea through the marketplace of many ideas, therefore the marketplace of ideas. Excellent. He was also the one who did the... Um, you're not protected for yelling fire in a movie theater. Oh, that was him too? Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, it's important to note that like a couple months before his descent in Abrams, he was locking up um, political... Um, speakers. Speakers, yeah. Like a, a candidate for president. Yeah, I think it was his majority opinion where he did lock up... Eugene Debs. Yep. I think it was in that opinion that he talked about the fire in a movie theater. Yes. But he changed his tune, and there's a wonderful book all about it, Bill. It's called The Great Descent by Thomas Healy. Mm -hmm. And I've listened to it, and I have a copy of it on my shelf. Yes. Because I'm a nerd. And you like Oliver Wendell Holmes. It's very interesting. He had a know, great mustache. Transition. He's one of the like greatest um, constitutional uh, First Amendment, specifically, justices that we've had on the supreme court he's always cited he was a scholar on constitution and interpretation beforehand uh and he's just yeah i would say that the first amendment became a little more serious when he started converting over um or uh brandeis won him over yes uh lewis brandeis won him over but since he was so well respected in the field mm -hmm. 
Well, that as soon as he started changing his tune, it slowly snowballed into what we have today. Yep, Cause absolutely. Because it's important to know, First Amendment wasn't always as important or powerful as it is today. Right. And one of his big contributions was, of course, the idea that you have freedom of speech, except in cases where... That speech doesn't become speech. Clear and present danger. That's what it was. I remember this from con law because that was one of the things we had to remember, clear and present danger. And then that was changed in Brandenburg where they changed the uh, the test of when speech goes too far, which is now what? Incitement to violence? Incitement to imminent lawless action. Imminent. Which among which action. includes violence. Right. Uh, but clear and present was the original test that they would use for whether or not, you know, yelling fire in a theater, you know, if if that's going to cause a clear and present danger to the people within the theater, then it's not free speech that you can just run right. around yelling. Right. But well, we're talking about all of this, this because... Yes. Uh, because social media... We just talked about Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. And there was actually in the news... I know we're talking a lot about the news today, but in the news there was a uh, a concurrence, right, to a deny or to a grant of the writ of certiari. And Justice Thomas pontificated about his feelings on Section 230 and social media giants. Yeah. Should we start with his writings, or should we explain first well, what 230 is? Well, let's briefly discuss what, ha what happened, mm -hmm. and then we'll let's get into 230. Okay. But, so, back in the day, Trump was using his personal Twitter account mm -hmm. to talk about government stuff. Yeah, a lot of things. Lo amongst other things. And he blocked a few people on Twitter mm -hmm. because they were, you know, he felt they were harassing him or something like that. Right. And they filed a lawsuit and saying you can't do that because it violates the First Amendment. Because he's using it as a government, you know, yes. information hub. Yes. Yeah. And you can't, the government can't preclude people like that. Right. So, um, made its way up to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. and Recently, it made its way up recent, to the Supreme Court. After, yes. Post-election. So, so at, at this point, it's the offices of the president versus um, some free, Freedom of Speech Institute, Institute at Columbia University. Uh, at this point, it's now Joe Biden versus Columbia University. Which doesn't make any sense because it's still about Trump's Twitter account. Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> and it's also post-Trump got banned from Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the court's like, all right, we'll take it. It's moot. Get it out of here. Yep. And then Thomas writes a long um, concurrence right. in support of basically saying, yeah, this is, this is the correct decision. It's moot. Mm -hmm. But there's some things that need to come up before the court that are that are ripe for consideration. Yeah, this case would this have case, raised questions. Yes. He's basically saying it would have raised very, very difficult questions had it not been moot. And these issues will come up again, right. is what he's saying. Yep. Amongst which were that those First Amendment um, considerations mm -hmm. and a little thing, part of is, which is part of the Communications Decency Act, which is what we've been talking about as Section 230. Mm -hmm. So. Which is only two sections away from the one we just talked about in the Facebook. Three. Oh, yeah, I can't add. Uh, which was 227. 220, yes. This is all part of Title 47. Um, 230. A lot of people might have heard of it before, but it's a it's a statute that has been in the news a lot. Now, 
you probably like in the last year, it was all uh, Trump saying we should eliminate it, that it's a it's a gift to big tech companies, that it's, you know, it, you know, it's created a, a terrible Internet or whatever. There, there was a lot of that. Right. Mm -hmm. But then um, it's always brought up. I don't know if you've seen recently all the uh, when Jack Dorsey or um, Mark Zuckerberg are testifying in front of Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, they're often questioned about Section 230. So what's your what's your take on what Section 230 is? Uh, my understanding from reading your paper <laughs> that you're, oh, yes. you're writing yep. is that Section 230 was intended to protect. It was like the beginning of Internet, right? Yeah. So there's all these little sites that are starting up. And, you know, you like we just mentioned, you're not allowed to just say anything you want. There are certain things that you can't. You know, you don't have the freedom of speech for, such as child pornography, violence, uh, threatening sort of messages, stuff like that. So these early websites, if they had a message board, say, and there were people who were posting things that included that sort of content, would it be the host, the host of that website's job and duty to go through and get rid of all of those comments and make sure that they're clean and uh, you know, or would they be sued for someone sending a threatening message on a public board because it's their website and therefore they are responsible for it? And so my understanding is that Congress was like, no, we don't want all these little small companies to be sued all the time because mm -hmm. of users just miss, you know, yeah. writing terrible things on their public boards. It's not their fault. Um and th this stemmed from a case with the bookstore, which was a similar idea. Yeah, so, uh, so it stemmed from a bookstore case and then turned into uh, two two cases, mm -hmm. uh, comp commonly known as CompuServe and Prodigy. Mm -hmm. um, the this the old form of liability, right? If I'm hosting a site, mm -hmm. I'm hosting a site and or a bookstore, right? Yeah, and I'm not aware of the material in the like I, I buy lots of stuff for the bookstore right um and there's some stuff in there that's not so great you can't read it all yeah you can't yeah you can't read it all um but i sell it mm -hmm. now we're talking about third-party liability right now the person who wrote that that I, that piece that i put in my bookstore mm -hmm. you could sue them right easy uh, but sometimes it's not so easy to get to them. So I sell the book. I sue someone could sue me, the bookstore owner, mm -hmm. for you know whatever damages for that third party liability. Right. Section two thirty talks about what to do with that third party liability. Before section two thirty, it was CopyServe and Prodigy, um, where there was one, and back in the day, it was these internet. Uh, it wasn't the internet like we know today. Mm -hmm. It was mostly like you could get onto these uh, message boards um, via some services. And that's just the best way to describe it. And one of these services was much more like a distributor, mm -hmm. right? Hey, like I'm just going to buy books. I'm going to sell them in there. I'm not even going to look at them, right. right? And then one of them was like, well, we want the internet to be safe for kids because it's a really cool tool. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take some stuff down. And so they were slightly more editorial with what they did. They, they saw something and they would take it down. So in one of the cases where they were just like hands off, laissez-faire, they had distributor immunity. And distributors, distributors, distributor liability is, is much less, you know, you have to like actually know what's going on mm -hmm. and 
pr- promote it, and that's how you can get in with liability on distributor liability. Right. But publisher liability, where you've had some editorial um, process that you went through and you took down some stuff, all of a sudden, now you're a lot you're liable for everything. Yeah, because you're hands on. Right. Or you're, yeah, you're you 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 can be attacked via third party immunity. Mm-hmm. So Congress is like, this is no bueno. Let's let's fix it. And basically, Section 230 says that on the internet, no internet content provider will be, or um, no internet site is going to be determined to be the speaker of someone else's post. Mm. So when you post on Twitter, right. Because let's, you know, let's pretend like you actually have a Twitter. Like, Bill's the worst person. He steals all my Dunkaroos. We should go and toilet paper his car. Well, that's all. All of those things are true. However, (laughs) if they weren't true and I wanted to have a defamation claim on you, I can't sue Twitter. Because Twitter didn't say that. Nope. And they didn't edit my post. And they didn't edit your post. Right. So you said it. Mm -hmm. So I can come after you. Can't come after Twitter. Right. That's what Section 230C1 says. That's that's the that's the big that does a lot of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. for these internet sites. Um, Section two thirty, C two, has two parts, A and B, and the the other the A is the is the the heavy lifter within there, and it says um, no provider or user of an interactive computer service. Think back to our example, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, uh, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. Mm. So in this case, I say, uh, Bill is the worst, he steals all my dunkaroos, let's all harass him, and Twitter thinks, oh, well, that's not good, I don't want this to be on there, so they block that post. I find that objectionable, and then they take their post down. Right. Right. And, and then I can't sue Twitter you, uh, for uh, silencing it's, me. It's not that easy, but okay. yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. They're, you're not going to... Um, they basically have is, the right to do that. This is the case where they left, let's say they left it up for a few days. Yep. And some people acted upon it. Mm-hmm. Twitter found it, and they they, they took it down. Mm-hmm. Right? Twitter's now not considered an editor of that post. Okay. Yep. That you can't right. get so in then, through liability there. Got it. So now That's you still can't sue Twitter. Is. Yeah. Or the the damaged parties can't sue Twitter. Right. 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 Yeah. If they if Twitter defamed you for some reason, you could directly sue them. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah, because that's not what two thirty does. Yeah. Um. But this section of the Communications Decency Act. Uh, is largely thought to have been the reason the internet survived. Mm. Um, there's a book by uh, John Kossoff called 26 Words That Created the Internet. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the statute that created that basically created the internet. Yeah, the 26 uh, words of these the, are the statute. Yeah, the 26 words of this statute are what created the internet. Uh, the fact that all of these individual little sites weren't liable, mm-hmm. right? You wanted to have a comments post on your blog, Right. You weren't gonna get sued out of existence, just you know, just because you had slightly bigger pockets than the person who's posting comments on your blog. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it did a lot of good in the de- and it sped up the development of the internet. Yep. The criticism now is that Twitter and Trump didn't get along very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Twitter is a private company owned and operated in California. California, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say California leans to the left. Mm-hmm. Shocker, everybody. Um, <laughs> news. <laughs> news, yeah, breaking. Votes Democrat. No. <laughs> um, California's electoral votes go to Biden. Shocked. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah. But... It's that's the makeup of their private company, right? So I I don't think anybody's surprised to say that twi- if if Twitter had a political bias, which mm-hmm. they claim they don't, yeah. uh, if they had a political bias, it would lean left, and that that's normal. Private companies are well, actually, before I get into this, oh boy, let's backtrack a little bit to the First Amendment, okay? Because two thirty and the First Amendment have a lot of interplay. Yes. So First Amendment, mm-hmm. everybody's favorite. It's number one, mm-hmm. freedom of speech, right? It's a little more than that. Uh, the First Amendment reads, Congress shall make no law mm-hmm. respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably, pe- the people peaceably to assemble mm-hmm. and to petition, petition the government for a redress of grievances. Oof, that's a lot more words than I remember. So, speech, religion, uh, press, the press. Assemble, yep. assembly, and you can petition. Go to the government and say, "Hey, I don't like what you're doing." Yes, there's a lot in there. Yeah, but the first clause: Congress shall make no law. People forget that one. People forget that one all of the time. Yes. <laughs> um, the First Amendment's a negative right, mm-hmm. which means it's a right f- from something. Yeah, from the government. From the government. The government can't come in and say, "You shut up." Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Right. In most cases. I mean, we talked about some of the exceptions, like the, the crowded movie theater and a fire mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But generally speaking, the government can't censor you. That, it, that's a very unique right. Mm-hmm. Not we. I mean, other com- other countries have a version of freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Not every. Uh, we have the strongest. We probably have the strongest one. Yeah, the most liberal one where there's a lot more protection of our freedom of speech. We're allowed to say pretty horrendous things without it becoming um, illegal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then again, it goes back to the marketplace of ideas thing. Yeah. Then you let people say, oh, that, that's a terrible thing to say. Let's right. not go talk to him. Yep. He's a jerk. So when Twitter censors Donald Trump mm-hmm. or any other, you know, somebody who they're censoring, right? They're allowed to do that. Right. That's not a freedom of speech issue. Yeah. They're allowed to do that. And Section 230 protects their ability to do that. Mm-hmm. So the First Amendment protects their ability to do that because they have the right to assemble with who they want to. They're a private entity. They can censor who they want. Mm-hmm. And two, Section 230 protects that uh, their uh, ability of like that. That doesn't make that doesn't automatically make Twitter an editorial board or a publisher. Right. So they, so people can't say, you know, like, hey, Donald Trump said this and I, you know, that, that damaged me somehow. Mm-hmm. Twitter took it down, meaning Twitter's an, edit- um, an editor, a publisher of that. I can go sue Twitter because they've got a big pocketbook. They can't, that, so Twitter's additionally protected from 230 because of that. Right. So, long-winded. <laughs> that all being said, there are a lot of efforts to rewrite Section 230 such that the government can tell them not to censor. Mm. And that's a tough problem. Why? Because you've got the First Amendment rights, the right to freely assemble Mm -hmm. of Twitter, 
Yep. Associate who with they want with whom they want to associate, and then you've got the people's rights of freedom of uh, freedom of speech mm-hmm. from government censorship, and you've got these two balancing speech rights. There's these two uh, speech rights in um, tension. Yep. And it's it's the government picking one or over the other, right? Section two thirty bolsters the. Um, the company's ability, the internet company's ability to have a stronger voice. Mm-hmm. But maybe a, a provision, a new provision in Section 230 could, again, bolster the people's right to freedom of speech from large companies, large right. social media companies. And let's be let's be very clear here. Section 230 applies to everybody on the internet. Yes. That's not just, that's like this if if there's a comment section on spotify for our podcast right mm-hmm. we're not liable for those comments right spotify well spotify is not excuse me spotify is not liable right if and when comments. we have our own website and we have a public message board then we won't be liable for the comments that randos correct post yeah correct so there's a lot going on here, and I think a lot of the efforts to do this died down a little bit when Trump left office. Right, yep. But it's still lingering in, in the ethos. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I told you, and I know you have actually seen this, that documentary that came out on Netflix. Um, yes. Uh, remind me what it's called. The Social Dilemma. Yes. Dilemma. Wow, that came out fast. Yeah, so uh, one of the arguments that is brought up in that documentary is maybe putting more restrictions on these types of social media outlets just because they have such a huge influence and impact Mm -hmm. on so many people that uh it's almost like the people who are using the social media don't realize how ingrained the social media is in their own lives that they're almost being force-fed information in a way that possibly could be damaging. So maybe it's time to rethink the way that we allow these companies well, to that's operate. Thomas, the, in Thomas's concurrence, mm-hmm. that's kind of what he talks about. He's like, you know, we've done this for common carriers. Right. We do this in a lot of industries mm-hmm. that have um, pseudo-monopolistic or monopsonistic tendencies or just a public accommodation that everyone is part of public accommodation is a is a big one there's a lot of case law on that so Mm -hmm. like public access networks and the ability Mm -hmm. and how speech works within public access networks that's um the halleck case is big on that one um but it's uh i i think anyway that it's ripe for the legislature to, to go do something. I don't think you're going to see something out of the court, mm-hmm. really. You might have an opinion. Um, there's, there's a criticism of how we've interpreted Section 230, C1. Um, people think we've interpreted it too broadly. Mm-hmm. So Thomas is one of those justices that thinks that we should interpret it a little more narrowly and really look at that good faith clause mm. within there and they're like listen there's a lot of instances and I, there's one in my paper specifically about um harassment online mm-hmm. and the, thomas is like look you look at this case clearly there was like no there's no good faith involved in here and they changed the post not enough but just enough for someone and it was all and he was granted third-party immunity mm-hmm. he's like and that's not cool 
that totally goes against the statute. Right. I don't. I think these courts have totally like Thomas thinks that these courts have totally ruined the way Section Two Thirty is interpreted. So there might be something there. Mm-hmm. The court might narrow its interpretation, but you have to you have to realize that even Section Section Two Two Thirty C Two, which is the one that's not really all that contested, is still pretty broad. You're not going to see massive change out of the court. You're more likely to see change out of the, out of the legislature. And there are a couple of congressmen who are considering alternative bills or... Um... Yeah, the one that's the most likely to pass mm-hmm. is the uh, is the Thune Act, which basically, it's PACT. It's called the PACT Act. Um, the, the bill, basically, it's a transparency bill, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. The... Uh, if you're going to uh, each company to get 230 immunity has to have a transparent terms and conditions mm. and basically say it, it just have them publicly releasable. Um, you have to have the, if you're going to take someone off your um, platform platform, if you're going to take someone off your platform. You've got to give them an, a, a right to appeal. Right. Yeah. To see if you can get back on that and like a review of that of that decision, mm-hmm. um, and then you have to there's some there's certain disclosures that you have to release to get to qualify for Section two thirty immunity, mm-hmm. which is it's it's not it's the most likely and it's the most in tune with the original spirit of the bill because it's not it's not picking a side it's not uh, it's not mandating anything mm-hmm. so for example the the Trump version of the bill. Um, or the Senator Cawley version of the bill are much more aggressive about mandating certain policies, which is unconstitutional. But that's a, that's for a, the companies to do for like Twitter. Well, Twitter right, has to do right, 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 right. The, the, those bills are a little bit more aggressive. Bars is a lot less so than Senator Hawley's, but um, they're they're very much aggressive about like we're going to shut down this whole censorship thing that you're doing. Yep. Um, but the, and that would go against the First Amendment right it, of it, Twitter. It, yeah, it, right. uh, bars much less so than Hawley's. Mm-hmm. Bars is, I think, constitutional, um, but it, but it skirts that line, right? The but the Pact Act is is much more in line with the true intent of the bill. It mm-hmm. just adds a little bit of transparency, and then it enables the marketplace of ideas to go where they want to go. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that one, um, but I don't think um, I don't think it's back up for consideration. I have to look actually I have to look back into that. There's a that one's constantly changing. Right. Well, it's going to be an interesting month for First Amendment issues anyway. Yes. At the court, whether or not they make any changes to uh, you know two thirty, these are a little bit different. But there are several arguments coming up that have to do with First Amendment questions, not necessarily two thirty questions, but First Amendment questions. So it'll be an ongoing topic of discussion for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but for two thirty, I guess that'll be kind of pending in the background for a while. Oh yeah. It, it- it's going to rear its ugly head at some point. Definitely. But this was interesting, the the Thomas opinion that came out. Um, also sort of interesting because, he, you know, he's allowed to write a concurrence, obviously, but it it almost came across as um, what are judges not allowed to do? Policymaking. Yeah. He So he's done this before on this issue. Uh-huh. This is not, this is not the first time he's done this. There's a case um, where they denied cert. Or something like that. Uh, I believe it's a denial of cert called Malwarebytes, 
on a completely unrelated issue, mm-hmm. uh, not even like a presidential case like this. And he's like, we really need to look at 230 because this is garbage. Right. Um, he, in that one, he was more mad about the courts, uh, the lower courts interpretation of Section 230. Mm-hmm. He's just mad that none of the cases that get up to the Supreme Court are on point enough for him yeah. to review it because he's like, I will eviscerate this thing as soon as it gets in front of my desk. Yeah. Which is... Uh, I don't love that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I Granted, Clarence Thomas has been a justice for a long time. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. And I'm not even a lawyer. <laughs> True. But if I was on a court, I wouldn't write concurrences like that. That are very much policymaking. They're not or even suggestions. Suggesting. He's like, hey, guys, nudge, nudge, fix this. Otherwise, I will. Yeah, wink, wink. Wink, wink. Also, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm mostly, I'm being... Facetious. Uh, I'm being facetious, yeah. but he is basically, and he's and he makes excellent points. No, Don't he does. Me. He he goes through, talks about the law, talks about the, he, he does a good job, but it is him just like riffing off of what he thinks should be done. <laughs> yeah, and when there's no case in front of him, which is you know questionable. Which, which is yeah, yeah. The case in front of him was very, very, very much moot because Trump doesn't have a Twitter account anymore. And he's not president, so the right pro- party isn't even named. But this isn't this isn't the first time where he he takes a moot case and he's like, this brings up some pretty Good key points. issues. Yeah, whatever. Um, but his his analysis of the Section two thirty problem is very good. Mm-hmm. Is very good. It's very uh, and the legal the um, his issues with the lower court rulings yep. are are valid mm-hmm. are valid. So. They, he's. He, I think he is. Ties in, it in well. He ties it in well. He's informing future litigants that hey, these are. Make sure when you when you come before us mm-hmm. and ask for a review of a Section Two Thirty case. Yep. You, these are the things we're looking for. If you don't bring these things to me, I'm not going to talk to you. Right, but please bring them because I'm dying to get this case. Because I will kill this statute. Yeah, that's nah, what he thinks. But nah. we'll see what happens in the legislature. I don't know why it came out that way. Well, interesting. Thank you for your expertise, Bill. Excellent. My paper will be out in like a month or so and on this. I can't wait to see it published somewhere. We'll see where it lands. It lands it on the internet somewhere. Yes, absolutely. So everyone keep an eye out. We'll keep you updated on when it is finished. Uh, we also wanted to update everyone that if you are interested in sending us any questions or comments or just a hello, you can contact us at modusscotus at gmail.com. That's M-O-D-U-S-S-C-O-T-U-S at gmail.com. And under the same... Uh, spelling at you can find us on twitter and eventually instagram and maybe a website someday maybe if we get our act together we'll start with yeah we'll start with twitter because you know you know protect us on 230 exactly and gmail too yeah we're so protected super protected wonderful well fun thanks for all that free speech knowledge bill I have so much more that I could vomit out. But oh, it's going to happen all month. I can't wait. It's, it's going to be it, a very free speech month. It's your birthday month, so you deserve it. No. Yeah. No, no. I can't wait, but it's going to put everybody to sleep. Nah. And I can't wait to put everybody to sleep. Everyone loves freedom of speech. Bye. <laughs> all right. Thanks for tuning in. Um, tune in again next time. Bye. <laughs>